slow down, flip us over, and celebrate. The Turn Turtles are here. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Turn Turtles Board Gaming Podcast. My name is Matt Ormel and with me are Adam the Mege Mejard. Say hi. Oh, hey. And Adam the Muir Muir. Hi, Matt. He's not demure. He is dumb. He's very demure. The bomb. I'm going to say that I am demure without remembering what that word means. <laughs> I up. don't know what it means either. It's usually like, a feminine quality. Reserved, oh. modest, and shy. And it's usually like referred to women. Women are referred uh, yeah, to as looks demure. Like it. <laughs> I guess I'm. I guess I'm modest, right? But I'm not really reserved or shy most of the time. You are so modest. You're probably the modest, mo- most modest man ever. Oh, yeah, but God, I th- look how done up my I, buttons are. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's more clothing modest than personality modest. In my elbows. Oh, dear. Oh, man. Okay, let's talk about board games so we don't have to talk about your elbows anymore. So, this week is going to be a little different. We have nothing on the table. What's on the table? Nothing. It's been... Well, that's not true. Four weeks? Four weeks There's stuff up. on the table, just it's all appetizers and no main dish. Oh, that's what we do for Christmas. It's the best. Yeah. It's all finger foods. Mm. All right, we nah. got fried finger You don't get filled up at all. What? You fill up like, if you get any hungry at all, you just go back to the table and get more finger foods. Yeah, but they still never fill you up and you're hungry an hour later. You yeah, like get yeah. more hors d'oeuvres at your meal. table. Oh, it- now nah, you need turkey and stuffing. <laughs> Maybe there's turkey and stuffing in the horse doers. Well, then you have an actual meal, not just finger foods. If you thought that we would stop mispronouncing things with horse doers, you are so wrong. It's this It's horse doers. We have a plethora of mispronouncing designers. So Adam, why don't you kick us off with some of the things that you've been up to? You're going to have to be more specific. Uh, About what? Muir. I pick you. I am trying (laughs) to open my notes, which are not open. Um, Oh, you weren't prepared. You should have said no when Matt asked if you were ready. (laughs) I've written stuff. It's just, it's being slow, but... I can start by telling you that um, I have not played a ton, despite the fact that we missed an episode uh, because you two were away. Um, but we're in like super slept slap. That's going to show you what I'm gonna, what I'm about to talk about. We're in sl- super sleep deprivation mode with our youngest <laughs> um, and Aww. the mountain of work around the house that I've been doing, but. Uh, besides that, I've gotten a couple of games in with the kids um, on some rainy days and as we finished up the summer. I introduced them for the very first time to um, Captain Carcass, 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 <laughs> Carcass. Um, and they really liked it. They be honest with us. Did you win? I did win. I wiped the floor. <laughs> <of them. laughs> um, but they you know, just to refresh everyone. I've talked about this game before, but it's a push your luck card drawing game with the theme of diving into the ocean. And uh, each suit does something neat with cards that you have put into your hold. It lets you steal cards, or it forces you to draw more cards. And if once you get a duplicate of a card uh, in in your in a row, or not in a row, but while you've dove into the water, you have an incident and you lose everything, unless an anchor has saved some of your cards. Uh. So they quickly understood what the suits were doing, and they were even like doing little diving actions with their faces as they were like turning over <laughs> a card to like represent what they were doing. Awesome. 
So how old uh, are are your boys that you were playing with? Uh, seven and four. Nice. So yeah, there, there's not a whole lot there to teach really. It's just remembering my my four year old just he definitely wanted to just always keep going. So the push your luck part was kind of lost on him. Yeah. Um, he had way more incidents than the rest of us did. Cause he's <laughs> like, I want to keep going. I want to see what the cards are. So right. he didn't fully grasp like the risk of continuing part, but it was fun nonetheless. Cool. Um, apart from that, we played some labyrinth labyrinth and I've continued playing Gloomhaven and um, I've been doing quite a bit of D&D prep for you folks in the campaign that we've been playing the last uh, two months now, I guess. Hasn't been enough. How have you enough guys prep? been? I'm going to ask on the record. How have you guys been enjoying it? I guess I'll talk. <laughs> I have been loving it. I never get enough D&D, and every time I start a campaign or something, it seems like two or three sessions in, and then it kind of fizzles. I played one campaign quite a a ways in with my sister and her in-laws, and that was super fun, but then with the... um, I want to say time changes, but that's it's just the different time zones that we're in. It's never quite, never quite works because they're in France, yeah. Austria, and here. So we have to play in the middle of the afternoon. So it's evening for them, and that never quite works. But and you were playing digitally, obviously. Yeah, yeah, over uh, Zoom, I guess. Oh yeah, and what campaign was that? What's that? Uh, he's making his own. Oh okay. So I, it's actually really funny because you're doing Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, right? And yes. his is so far has been centered around the ten towns as well. So oh, really? all, all the, yeah, so all the town names I know already, but I guess that's part of role playing is that you're if your per- character isn't from that area, then I kinda gotta pretend I don't know any of the town names and that kind of thing. So is this one you're still playing now? Uh they are still playing it. And I asked him if he had used any of the Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or if he was going to. And he said he hadn't yet, just the setting. And that he he might in the future, he might have used some of it, but he's mostly doing his own thing. Okay. It's a very cool setting. I like the the whole concept quite a bit. Mm -hmm. All very wintry and edge of the worldy. Yeah. I'm playing a Dragonborn Cleric of Eldath, who is the goddess of peace. So I'm trying for the first time to play a pacifist in a game that tries to make you fight everything. So, I yeah, we'll see where the characters <laughs> live. <laughs> we sure will. And how that goes. So, so far we fought, uh, I never remember the name of it, an Orok. Is Orog. that it? Orog. And a couple undead skeletons and I took up arms against the undead because I didn't believe, well, letting the cat out of the bag, I guess a little bit. I didn't believe that they had like a a free will that they were mindless maybe in their, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see how far that gets. Right. Jin Bandar. I am also curious to see because that seems impossible to me, but we'll see. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be mostly the tank that gets hit because my AC is pretty high. Right. And I have, I have some spells that'll increase that as well. And then uh, healing and a bit of support. So we'll see. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And yeah, I'll die, I guess, and <laughs> become a new character. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm enjoying it Meej, do you love it so far yeah it's different i've played a lot of DD and pathfinder mm-hmm. um and it's the first time i've been in a game that's a pre-made setting we've always made our own from scratch settings so that's interesting um but yeah it's good so far 
Nice. Related to that, I also got my hands on a printer, a 3D printer. Um, for not Brag. reasons, not only for this this game, obviously, because that would be silly, but um, it's meant that I've been able to make a bunch of custom minis as we go through the game, and it's uh, I've been enjoying looking through availability and playing with all the different things that people are making and that part of miniature making and printing and resins and how all that stuff works so that's another thing i've never played a game like i guess the one i played longest was online but i've never played a D game or pathfinder game where the minis on the board actually look like what you're describing so when you pulled out those three undead skeletons and you said that one of them had no arms one had one arm and one had both arms and a shield and a sword and then I looked at the minis on the board and they actually had that. It right. it really helped to pull you in. And at first yeah, it's I, really well, important because it's you how do you strategize without that? Well, uh I would just like bring a Lego man or something, like whatever you want to just represent your character. But it really pulls you in. So now I'm gonna have to look look for or design something to match what I think my character looks like. Yeah, so that's been fun. It's that probably wraps up all the fun things that I've been up to. I guess I can quickly mention uh, yesterday I got uh, another update on Mindbug, and it is apparently at the fulfillment centers here in Canada. So uh, I should have it very, very, very soon. And what about Everdell? Everdell, that was a. I don't have any updates on that one yet. I'm not even sure if they've closed. More like Neverdell. Adam got Everydell. So I think they are pretty close to shipping, if not shipping already, for like in the containers to fulfillment centers. Like there. Yeah, now that you say it. But then the containers have to get here. Oh, yeah. They're a couple months out, I think. But I think it'll be a race between them and. Frosthaven, because Frosthaven on the 19th, excuse me, on the 19th are supposed to have containers either shipping out or landing. I think they're shipping out on the 19th of September. So they're saying Frosthaven by Christmas. I wonder which will get far away still. Everdell or Frosthaven. This is this is why I can't get into Kickstarter, because (laughs) if I'm excited about a game. I want to play it. I don't want to wait a full year before playing it. Yeah, that for just sure. seems silly to me. Yeah. Well, with Frosthaven anyway, it was definitely a good investment to get in on the Kickstarter because I think I paid a hundred bucks, and now they're saying that it's going to be two fifty in stores. So yeah. I think that's one of the main reasons I would kickstart something rather than wait. But I mean, if it's a difference of it's forty bucks on Kickstarter or fifty in store, then I it wouldn't matter that much. I'd rather see the reviews and that kind of thing. But for the bigger games, I think it, the investment is worth it. I'm trying to yeah, find I out why I haven't a got a message about this actually, but let's hope it's not because you forgot and didn't order it. I know I was charged for it. But I don't actually see it in like my backed things now, so I don't know what's going on. Oh, was it on Kickstarter or was it like GameFound? That's what I'm trying to remember. That's what email search function is for. <laughs> Agreed. Anyways, Never. that's pretty much all I've got for now. Yeah, I think it was Kickstarter. And it looks like you shingled your first roof. I did. I shingled a shed, which is part of the the mounted of housework that I mentioned. I had cool. a shed roof that needed to be re-shingled like six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at the bottom of the list of other things that I had to do first. So um, I I actually finished it like in the pitch dark on the roof at night at nine o'clock with my phone's a light held in my mouth. <laughs> Because I <laughs> desperately wanted to be done by the second day. I also had to like replace plywood like under the like the actual roof. Oh yeah. yeah. So it wasn't just single, it was a pretty big. It took me about two days. Um right. and by the end of day two, I just wanted to be done done. 
Yeah. And I went all the way into the dark when I probably shouldn't have been doing anything. It but, rained pretty good today. Today. And that was the other part. It was supposed to be thunderstorming the next day. Oh, and yeah. I didn't want to have to tarp it and worry about damage and things not going right. So, did it leak at all? Nope. Looks good so nice. far. Nice. Win. All right, Mage, what have you been up to? Not much. Um, I've been at work pretty much all month. So, you know. Um, so, there's only really one game I'm going to really talk about. I'm going to mention that I played Planted. And if you want, a chill game to play with your friends about plants with pretty art. Go get planted. Um, I'll talk about it another time more in depth, but I only played it once and I was not fully awake when we played it. So yeah. <laughs> um, the other game that I new game that I played is Gutenberg. So Gutenberg, which I'm just pulling up on board game geek. So I get things right. It's relatively new. Well, it is new. It's from 2021. Um, it's by Tatarzina Kiosh. I can't say the other name at all. Um, mm. and it's published by Grana. Um, so Daryl picked this up in the States and we played it twice. It's really interesting. So it, it centers around Johannes Gutenberg and the other historical figures who were influential in the printing press in the early days of the printing press. Um, so it at its base it really is just an order fulfillment game um but the way they do it and the theme that's attached to it is really cool so uh the orders are essentially there's two halves to your order the first half is um a series of vowels um that you're going to print um and the idea is that the orders are like stylized calligraphic vowels that they're putting in their writings that they're illuminating is the word I'm looking for. Um, so you have to complete that half of the order. And then the other half of the order has requirements such as ink color and different skill levels that you have to meet um, to fulfill that half of the order. That's not, you don't have to complete that half to complete the entire order, but it gives you bonus points and extra guten bucks as we call them. Um, extra money. <laughs> Um, so essentially how the game works, it's split into five phases. So the first phase is picking orders. Second phase is buying ink. Third phase is upgrading your skills, which is like, um, I forget exactly what they are, but it's like lettering, um, calligraphy, leather work, um, and leather stamping, I think is the other one. Um, so you upgrade your skills and that's, what's going to get you bonus points on your orders. The third mechanic I'm going to get back to, but basically it gives you bonus actions, but I think it's the coolest part of the game. So I'll get back to it at the end. Um, and then the last part, there's all these special achievements you can claim that all have a threshold you have to meet before you can claim them. So it might be that your leather work has to be level three and you have two red inks in your supply. If you have both of those, you can claim this and get a eight extra points at the end of the game. Um, so. I'm going to try to explain how turn order works, but if I get it wrong, <laughs> don't get mad at me. So basically you have a little board that has all the symbols of the five actions down the left side and then little slots where cubes can go in beside each of them. And I think there's 10 slots beside each symbol and you're going to get an amount of black cubes and you're in secret at the beginning, all the players are going to use those cubes to bet on which actions they want to do. You all reveal at the same time, whoever has the most cubes beside an action goes first. If there's a tie, player order. The interesting thing is turn order makes a difference. So to start the game when you're playing with four people, the player who's going first gets... Okay, the, I'm going to do it the other way around. The player who's going last gets 10 cubes. Player who's going third gets eight cu nine cubes, eight cubes, seven cubes. At the end of the round, the three players who didn't go first take one of their cubes and give it to the person who was first. So now they have 10 cubes um, and the numbers change, Oh yeah, which yeah. is really cool. Um, 
the other cool thing is you get um you basically get a player character who has a different special power. So if you get Gutenberg, you can move one of your cubes. Your priority cubes is what they're called, I think, after everyone's revealed. Um, there's another one where you can fulfill orders with one less letter, um, different things like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, the last mechanic I'm going to mention because it's so cool and I hope I don't screw this one up. It's, it's sweet. So think of like a big steampunky machine and you have gears and cogs that are all interlocked. Um, think of those cogs, those gears. And if you turn one, all the ones interlocking will turn with it. So basically on your player board, on the right-hand side, you have three little pegs that stick up. And through the game, on the third action, you're going to buy a gear and slot it onto your board. Through the game, you'll have three of these. And they're split into... Each one has three big pie pieces, each depicting a different extra action. On the board... Once it's on there, that pie lines up with a little highlighted area. And that determines which of the three free uh, bonus actions you can take that round. So at the end of the round, then you take the top gear and you just spin it and it spins the other two at the same time and changes which bonus actions you get the next round. It's just it's so fun. And it's kind of mind bendy because you you have to think, OK, if this is going to turn left, then this is going to turn mm -hmm. right. It's, yeah. uh, it's really cool huh. it's cool I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it while you were describing it and that's yeah. super interesting yeah it, it's very it feels very gimmicky but it does it does work and it does change the way you think about it because instead of buying a new gear you can also pick up one of the gears you have and rotate it to the action you want okay if you don't want any of the gears that are on the board um the other thing to say about this game it's not too long. Uh, once you know how to play, I think it would be about an hour, hour, 15 minutes. Nice. Um, it is high quality. So if you're looking at the picture, Matt, you see there's those little cardboard chests. Yep. It actually comes with all those chests pre-built. So there's a little cardboard chest for each, for most of the components, which is really fun. Um and all the letters are actually wooden tiles with the letter raised, like you would actually put in a printing press, which oh, is super man. fun. And then little cardboard ink drops. Oh, the other thing to mention, because it's important, when you fulfill an order, you get to keep the letters that you used after, but all the ink gets discarded. Oh, yeah, that makes oh, sense. Weird. Right? It, which makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So you're... It's really cool because the letters get more expensive. So you're kind of trying to gauge, okay, how many A's do I need? How many E's? How many I's? Mm -hmm. The one unintentional thing me and Daryl discovered is the orders are all vowels. And it's supposed to be like, oh, I'm going to take the A-A-I-O order. But every time you go, I'm going to take the I-O. <laughs> and you just sound it out because it's hilarious every time. <laughs> but yeah, really good game. Cool. I'll definitely have to get Daryl over and play this one. Although I'm discovering more and more as we, or as I get more games that I don't have near enough time to play them. Yep. And I've, I've used to not have a shelf of shame where I have games that I've purchased that I haven't been able to play, but then I buy another game and put it on that same shelf. And now I do. And I'm going to blame See, Game Nerds Day. When I play a game, when I buy a game, I make sure I have plans that night to play it. Mm. And there's no questions asked. We're playing that game. So there's a bunch I've only played once. Right. But that's sweet. But I bought like but, four new to me games and a couple for as gifts for other people on the last sale that I did. So I couldn't, there's no way I could possibly play them all. But I've received them all, so they are... <clears throat> you should just bring them out on game night and not ask what we want to play. Just set one up. Hey, that sounds great. We'll do that next time. That's what we did with Stevenson's Rocket. With Food Chain Magnate. Oh, dear. <laughs> that game I mean, No guarantees we'll get through the whole thing. No, for we'll sure. play it. 
I think what uh, Hannah and I like to do sometimes is we'll start and learn a game and then nope. decide when we're tired or whatever that we'll just stop. So we don't See, actually I- get the whole game, but then we understand how set up and how See, to play. If I did that, I'd have to relearn the whole game because I didn't play the whole way through. So I have no idea how many points my actions get or anything. So it'd feel like yeah. I'm starting over. I I feel like in Food Chain Magnate, you're building up and building up. And as you go, you can tell how well you're doing because you start with no money and then money is points. So then as you're going, you can you can kind of gauge how well you're doing. And it's also way too long. It's <laughs> complicated. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't played it yet, but I have read through the rules and like the the player aids for everybody are menus, which is hilarious. So the game Fujian Magnate is like a I think 1950s diner style with the the art and in the game you represent one food chain. I'm I'm pretty sure. We haven't played it yet, so I I won't describe the whole thing. But if you look up a picture of it, it's excellent. Uh, the other games I got are Project L, Cascadia, and Hansa Teutonica. Now, I haven't opened Hansa Teutonica yet, but that's not two to four hours, so we could probably nail that one in a night. But I have not played that one yet either. The two games that I have played are Cascadia and Project L. And we went up to the cottage last week with my in-laws so i was able to play project l two or three times and we played cascadia once we played innovation and glory to rome the black box edition which they got when that came out and now it will never get made again so when i took a picture of it and sent it to the board game discord that i'm a part of from board game barrage everybody was like i can't believe you're playing with no sleeves and then they were mentioning how there were drinks on the table and it was very funny. <laughs> and you were like, really but I'm playing it for something. Yeah, you could probably sell it for like three or four hundred bucks now, even though it's just like a, a card game. Oh, it's, okay. What's really cool about it is the, the card, it's multi use cards. So each card has a patron on the left side that, like, uh, oh man, I should have looked up one of the actual cards let me just get it glory to Rome card that will be helpful okay what do I clicked on it so on the left side are the patrons like a legionary uh, a patron patron architect craftsman on the the main part of the card is a building that you can build. The right side is how much uh I forget what that what that goes to. Whew. And the bottom is what kind of building it is, so like stone, wood, rubble, marble, oh, brick okay. kind of thing. So depending on what you're doing you use the card in different ways so they can like you can stick the card in your vault and that's points at the end of the game or you can build the buildings and you need to use the different um, materials to build the building so if i'm going to build a coliseum i need to put three other cards under it that are also stone and in that oh, way okay. i can build the coliseum and then right. you get whatever power that card has on your turn, you'll play a card, and the whatever you play, uh, be it merchant or patron or legionary, that will be the different action, and everybody can follow that action if they have a card from their hand they want to play, or a patron, because they've used pa- the patron action and put, uh, let's say, a legionary in their patron pile. So it's quite a good game, and... I think I won by one point. Like, it was crazy close. How many players? Uh, That was four players. I don't know what it goes oh, okay. up to, though. And it, it actually takes a little while. Like, I think... 
Although we were just like goofing around and talking while we were playing it too. So it might have been two hours, but I don't I don't know if it was that long. Uh, going to Rome. Yeah, there were four players. I had 21 points. My brother-in-law Greg had 20. Dad had 15 and Joel. Poor Joel had 11. <laughs> he ended the game <laughs> like, that's enough of this. <laughs> so he, he did one of the end conditions and triggers. So going to Rome is good, but don't spend $300 getting it. It's not that good. Right. Some people some people like to uh, you can go to websites where they'll print it out for you. I don't know. Like it's it's not, it's not like the quality of an actual board game. But it's also not a great idea because you're not buying it. You're stealing it. Yeah, I don't know exactly the the legality behind that. Unless the creator has sanctioned that, I don't think that's a great thing to do. Probably not. I wouldn't because it's recommend their it, content. Mm-hmm. But the two whatever. games that I that I got and played a bunch are Project L and Cascadia, and I'd love to run through these because they are short. Like both of them, you can play in a half an hour. Cascadia maybe it takes a little longer depending on how many people there are. But Project L is a gorgeous design and it's a polyomino abstract game, which if you know me, I don't love abstract games, but this one is actually really good. And actually Cascadia is not that far from an abstract either. So in Project L you're doing one of like four different actions. You're taking a, a puzzle from one of the two rows in the middle and the puzzle on it, it's a dual layer cardboard with a cutout of the top layer of certain square shapes. So if you think Tetris. Yeah, Tetris is what I thought of. Yeah, so you'll have a certain amount of Tetris shapes. They're not all the Tetris shapes. Like you can get a just a single square or a double square. They're also and, all not all four squares big. Right. Oh, yeah, I guess Tetris. They're Tetris all four is squares. all four. That's yeah, why it's so Tetris. In, ah, in Project L, you'll have your level one is just your, your single square. Level twos will cover two spots. A level three, I think there's only two of them, will cover three spots. And then your level fours, you'll have like the straight line, the T, the Z, that kind of thing. And on your turn, you can either take a puzzle out of the middle and they're all different shapes and worth different points, depending on how hard they are to fill. You can place one of your shapes into the puzzle to complete them or like to progress to completing them. You can upgrade one of your pieces. So if you're like, okay, I've got the one yellow corn piece, but I want a a two green, then you can do that upgrading. Or you can do the master master craft <laughs> we called it so many times. <laughs> master class is what we called it class you can do the master action which is putting one piece into each puzzle that you have and you're only allowed a maximum of four uncompleted puzzles on your board and then it's just a matter of who can get the most points by completing their puzzles and every time you complete a puzzle you get one extra shape so the puzzle on it will have the reward shape that you get. So if you complete it, then you can get the the red square, which covers four. So you get all your pieces back from it and you get a red square. So you're constantly, your pool of shapes that you get is increasing and mm. the amount of points you get is increasing. And that game is like a half hour long and it was really fun. It was like the perfect cottage game. It's the perfect filler. It's a really good filler game. Yeah. Oh man, it it's published by Board Cubator. And then I'm gonna butcher these names, but we'll give it a shot. Mikal Mikesh, Jan Sukal, and Adam Spanel. <laughs> I hope I did you guys proud. So if you like Tetris and you like a little puzzly game, then Project L is awesome and it's beautiful. I think it's kind of like a 
a less head-to-head blockus almost. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It, it's certainly not a lot of player interaction. I don't think there is any. There is. You're fighting over the orders. Yeah, I guess you, you it's not it's not bitey, but there is player interaction. Like there were a few times where I got an order that Hannah wanted and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I recommend it. And then the other game is Cascadia, and this one, the Essen Spiel, the Spiel de Jahres, that's what it is, for this year. And I think rightly so. It's a great game about the Cascadia region of North America, which includes, I think, the Yukon, BC, Washington, and like that that northern mountainous to the ocean yeah northwest area and in the game you are taking terrain tiles and an animal token and then placing them in your area so it's all hexes you start with three hexes in your terrain zone there are five terrains mountain Forest, uh, field, marshy land, and rivers or ocean. And then it looks at like the end a of the snow game, one? Yeah, mountain. Oh, right. Okay. And then at the end of the game, you'll get points based on your largest of each of those. So, like your largest mountain area, how many tiles it, it covers. But then also, if you have the largest one out of the whole table, you'll get bonus points for that. And then the animals that you place can only be placed on certain tiles that picture that animal. So from bears, what is it, elk, red-tailed hawk, a fox, and a salmon. Each of the salmon. Yeah. Each of the terrains will picture one, two, or three of those. So on the in the middle of the table, you'll put out four terrain tiles and then from the bag you'll draw four random animal tokens you know place them beside so they're pairs and you are able to take up one of the pairs so hopefully it, you get the animal that you want and you get the terrain tile that you want and then each of the different animals has four different cards for how they score and you can do it random or the book actually has a just, bunch of just to clarify the way the way you said that made it sound like there's four cards for each animal. There's four cards, one for each animal per game, right? Yeah. So, like, there are four scoring cards for the Chinook salmon, but you only pick one per game. Yeah, the way you said it, it sounded like you picked four every game for each animal. So there were oh, whatever that no. is, sixteen scoring cards. Yeah, my bad. No, one for each animal each game. And it's super interesting just the, the, the way that the different scorings can work. Like, all the salmon cards want you to make or, for for the most part, a line of salmon. So yeah. it kind of represents like a, a river yeah. that the salmon need to go in. And the foxes want to be mostly uh they care about what's around them, like which different animals are around them. It is beautifully done. Uh, I think it's by the art is by Beth Sobel, who did Wingspan. So the art is gorgeous. The solo mode is very fun. I've played it solo five times already, which is unheard of for me to play that many times. But it runs so quickly. Like I can get a game done in 20 minutes by myself. And the cherry on the top of this game are they it's got achievements in the back of the the rule book oh. so it says if you can get 80 points with the scoring all the scoring cards that are labeled a then mark this off and then if you can get 85 points with all the b's 90 points with all the c's that kind of thing and then it gets even harder so it says use the cards a b B, B, and C for the animals. And then you also need to score the foxes three times in a complete, like, to their maximum potential. 
right. which was pretty tricky to do. And there are ways that you can get uh, little pinecone tokens that will allow you to either cycle the animals out of the, the draw or to choose one tile that's not paired with the animal that you want. But it's a super fun game. I'm so happy that I got it. It's pretty to look at. It's enjoyable to play. So it is pretty. I don't love it. I've played it a few times and I think thinking about it, what gets me about it is like you said, you're trying to make all these formations work together. Mm -hmm. And the entire time I played it, I felt like, okay, now I got all the salmon well, but as soon as I added anything else, it screwed up what I already had laid because now the bears have to go in these specific spots. And now my salmon run is ruined. Um, So I just, I felt like I could, there was never that moment of, Oh, good. It's all laying perfectly. It was always mildly frustrating because you couldn't get it all together. And I, I dislike that. Yeah. Maybe what I like about the solo play is I don't have to worry about going quickly. I can sit there and kind of math it out the four options that I have. How am I going to play that for the optimal play? Because I think I've only played it with other people once, maybe twice. And I guess that's the abstract part of it that I don't like, is that Mm -hmm. you're supposed to sit there and math it out. And that's just not fun to me, because then we're all sitting there by ourselves staring at our boards. Yeah. With other people, it's about as much player interaction as Project L is. Where, But Project L isn't near as thinky. No, it isn't. Project It's not thinky at all, I would say. Yeah. Adam, I bet you could play Project L with both of your boys and they would have a fun time playing it. Yeah, I I was kind of thinking the same thing. Cascadia kind of looks like it'd be up my alley too. It looks looks fun. looks like it would be my kind of thing. Cascadia is designed by Randy Flynn and published by Flat Out Games. And I I recommend that as well. I think they're both great. It looks like the animal tiles are wooden. Yes, yeah, they are. They're wooden. Agreed. For some reason, that's satisfying to see and know. I love wood. The more wood that you can put in a board game, the happier I am. Yeah, I like how it looks. Mm -hmm. We played a lot more of the Crew 2 Mission Deep Sea, which is always fun. And Hannah and I have been going through playing two-player, which is... It's good. It's not nearly as good as having an actual third player because the third player in the two-player def- game... It's definitely meant like for four people. Play. Yeah. Even three people is a lot better. Two people is fun, but it's almost a different game because whoever the captain ends up being plays a third player as well. Oh. That has seven cards face down on the table and then seven cards face up on those seven. And then when you play one of them, then it flips the bottom one over too. So it's not quite as good, but it's fun. And we both like playing it. So, And the thing about Deep Sea is if you have 20 minutes and you're like, I don't want to go to bed yet, but I don't want to play a deep game, then... You can go through three missions in 20 minutes or but, whatever. But it is deep. It's in the title. That is true. They lied. They, they straight did. up lied. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been shallow to see. <laughs> the crew do the crew to mission shallow coral and then just have lots of fish. I don't think the number two is in the actual title. It's not? Just to clarify, no. Is it shallow um, or is it deep? It's deep. It's just the crew, deep sea. Pretty sure. Well, I can't see it from here. And if yeah. it has two in it, that seems kind of... It just sounds lame. It's crew, mission deep sea. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The number two should not be in game titles. Like, <laughs> I love Machi Koro 2, but it's real dumb that it's called that. <laughs> The Machi Coral Killer. It's like any movies that have a number two in it. It's like you don't have to rely on your previous movie for this movie. 
And if you do, you shouldn't be making this movie. <laughs> Which is Dracula. a lot of movies, I think, actually. Return but. to Dracula. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings. I can't yeah, believe that. Yeah, but that they... doesn't have the number two in it. It doesn't uh, apply, clearly. Hours. Not in that sense. <laughs> Lord of the Rings it's not Lord two. of the Rings 3, Return of the King. No, that's just stupid. <laughs> Third King. That'd be hilarious. And technically, the second movie is books three and four, so it doesn't even apply. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I'm, I'm way out Come of my on, depth. Matt. I didn't even There's finish. six books. Oh, sorry. The publisher refused to publish it as six and compressed it. Oh, well, I didn't read the sixth then. I read one through five and not number six. The best but anyway, part. you can you can leave that for your Lord of the Rings podcast. That doesn't uh, exist. <laughs> the last game that I want to talk about is Beyond the Sun. I wasn't too hot on Beyond the Sun. I enjoyed it, but my main problem with it was that when you tech up, because in the, the game is mostly a tech tree with a sideboard of area control, when you tech up, you're flipping a random tech and whatever it ends up being, you know it's going to be one of four different things, whether that's economic or space fighting or whatever. You know it's going to be one of those because it's all color-based. So red, yellow, green, and blue. But you you never know exactly what it's going to be or how cool it is. We played, uh, it was recommended to me on the Board Game Barrage Discord to play with the expert variant which all that does is gives you what the next tech could be coming up. So it's got a grid of tech level 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then each color, red, yellow, green, and blue, and you flip off the top of the deck until you filled each color in tech 1, and then as you progress the game, you'll fill the row in tech 2, tech 3, but some of the techs are green and red, and then coming out of that tech, you need to do green or red. So if the the green spot is filled with a tech that's green and red, you could use that for the red one as well. It's a little tricky if you're not like looking at a picture of it, but it's so nice to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go for that level three tech because I know it's there. And I can kind of funnel my resources to aiming for it. So does and it fix it for you? Yeah. It, it You're able to plan it out and you know what's coming and you're like, okay, I'm going to play my game. So I funnel toward a certain direction instead of, oh, I got this random tech that doesn't really work with what I wanted to, to, wanted to do. So I I love that variant. I won't so play it almost, any other. It almost just makes it more crunchy, more thinky, like more yeah. of a gamer's game. Right. Because it wasn't silly enough to warrant the random techs. If they come out with an expansion that's crazy, like an innovation expansion for Beyond the Sun, then I'll play the random techs again. But your technologies, you kind of want them to be where you're going. And if you play, like, none of so them are too crazy or whatever. This almost had too much theme for the game, is what you're saying. Like, too it was much. too... Like, the game is very manufactured, in a way, as in, it's very... The theme is supposed to evoke a very scientific feeling, mm-hmm. I think, when you're playing it. And you're yeah. you're saying you don't want it to be that scientific, you want it to be loosey-goosey. If you're going to play with the basic rules. I would say pick a lane, and they didn't. Right, they went and that's what I'm saying. Kind of the theme is too scientific for the mechanics in the base. Right, for the random randomness yeah. of what it could be. So you want yeah, it to be looser and sillier and not as yeah. on point. I, I actually thoroughly enjoy the more scientific route, like you're actually building towards something scientifically with the expert variant. I prefer that to the original. I would love to try a, a crazy expansion one yeah, but i think the expert 
is how I'm going to play from now on for sure. I'd love to see a space base or not space base. Um, Beyond the Sun meets. Why am I blanking on this game? The one with like 30,000 alien races you can play. Cosmic. Oh, Cosmic Encounter. Like, honestly, Beyond the Sun meets the Cosmic Crazy. You have no idea what's going to happen. Would be great. I feel like that is like innovation plus Cosmic Encounter. Yeah. Would be a crazy Beyond the Sun. Yeah, it'd be great. I'd play it all day. There's no real fighting in Beyond the Sun. It's just like area control. So well, if you no, have more, I, I more mean I, having like the really crazy way out of balance alien powers. Right. That players need to balance with how they play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be hilarious. And I really hope they do that. Although maybe someone has done that. Why I haven't looked up just uh, player made stuff. Maybe I'll do that next time. Just play crazy things. But yeah, that is mostly what I have. If you're listening to this when it comes out or the day after, I will be in Grimsby, Ontario at the Forest and Harbor Market from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, the 17th of September. So if you want to come and buy some of my dice trays or wooden mini tiny tables, then you should do that. Follow me at not underscore at underscore robot underscore FW is <laughs> <laughs> easiest Instagram handle you've ever heard. So follow that and you'll see all the stuff that I'm making. And I hope to see you there. And that's the word underscore for all of those. <laughs> oh man, imagine. I would fire my PR guy. <laughs> Isn't that Hannah? Yeah, Hannah. No, it's me. <laughs> oh. Hannah definitely definitely helps out everywhere she can so that I don't like fall off the wagon. You're fired. The, the PR wagon. Are you addicted to this job and she doesn't want you to not be addicted? Oh man. It or is you're in, It's like a, a part time job. Remission. <laughs> and I love doing it so much. But it's it's a lot of work to do a full-time job and a part-time job. All right, well, that is the end of our weeks, and we have seven minutes to spare. So, so good night. We have an email. Oh, no? Oh. Listener. Are we doing that now, or are we saving Yay. it like you said? Well, let's read it now, and then we can decide if we want to do the next episode based on Greg's ideas. All right. Probably not. Who wants to read it because it's praising me for wisdom and genius? So we just shouldn't read it. (laughs) Just delete it quick. Uh, I don't want to read it now, but I'm trying. Oh, man. I mean, I can read it. Go for it. Okay. Greg. My brother says, Hi, Turn Turtles. I felt particularly obligated to email you about the scoring in Arc Nova. I'm fully in support of Matt's comments about the feeling of dissatisfaction about the low score totals. It's because they're brothers. <laughs> to me, it boils down to a few factors that contribute to these endgame blues. Number one, the game is a grind, but in a good way. It has a similar feeling to Everdell or Terraforming Mars, where I feel like I have to squeeze every drop out of my turns just to keep up with the rest of the players. Number two. The game is long. Our four-player game took just over three hours. Number three. The game is about animals and conservation, a theme where failure has certain implications about the life or death of cute things. (laughs) Obviously, the numbers are relative, and whether your final score ends up being 110 to 95 or 10 to negative 5, it doesn't matter practically. But the perceived value is important, not only for the effort you put in, but also for the theme of the game. They're good zoos, Brent. (laughs) 
<laughs> Why not reward players for the zoos they build by scaling them from excellent to mediocre instead of from barely economically stable to all of your animals died or were taken from you because you're a bad person? <laughs> Perception matters at the end of the game. And this got me thinking, are there games... Are there other games you have come across where you felt the scoring mechanic either doesn't match the gameplay, interrupts the flow of the game, or is altogether broken, or vice versa, where the scoring really adds to the experience? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Keep up the great work. I look forward to every episode. Greg. So, first of all, (laughs) Board Game Geek says that Arc Nova is two and a half hours max. So That's wrong. I don't know. I think that's much closer to reality. I've played it more times than you have, Matt, and it's not that long when you are all playing and focused on it. four people? Yeah. We played it with four people in two hours, hour and a half, two hours. That's crazy. I played it five times. I never played in under two hours. Once was with Hannah. That one was like two and a half. Okay, but... That's with Hannah, too. <laughs> I love her, but she is a turn turtle. <laughs> through and through. Also, yeah. if you're going to play a game about animals and conservation, of course there's going to be consequences to not conserving your animals. That's just how life works. <laughs> For sure. And I agree with that, but I also agree with Greg. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I just yeah. love the way you I, I still it. don't, but I, I, I can't understand it. So it's just, I guess, a difference of. But do you get what I'm it means? Sure. Like, if you end the game with negative thirty points, that has implications for the zoo that you've made. Like, yeah, I prefer it honestly. Like, you prefer. I've I want to never see more thought games. about it relating to the zoo I've made. It's me as a manager, not the zoo. But the animals will suffer for your managerial style. But that's also game. realistic, right? Like, there's zoos <laughs> out there that are like hell holes, and they're terrible. And like, you've done so bad, you've gone the other direction. Okay, so and I so, think okay, that's not let me only- get this straight. You you take on the feelings of the outcome of a board game. So when you're playing Gloomhaven, you take on the feeling of having murdered people and being a bad person. No, because in Gloomhaven, I play the good guy. And I only hurt bad guys. That's not true, but (gasps) there's lots of games where you don't associate yourself with the outcome. So why are you doing it in this game? Like what? I think every game I associate myself with the outcome, at least while we're packing it up. So when we were playing... um... Um, near and far. Yeah. Your character was not a very good person. From what I remember. Right. And I think it's a little different when you're role playing as a not very good person. But and it sounds can... like you're role playing as the manager of the zoo. Yeah, but the goal of the zoo is not to make a bad zoo. Your yeah. goal I didn't, is get, I didn't get the objection. So if you fail... I'm with Adam here. If you fail that goal, you should get negative 30 points and hate yourself because <laughs> you've made life terrible for the animals. I don't want to play. It a game all lines up. <laughs> but I, I don't think the objection was like role playing and like a perceived value of yourself. The, I, as far as I understood it, the objection up until now has been how much the value of your time and the, what you just spent your time doing to the outcome that you got when you were done with it. And because the game didn't give you a great score, no matter what your time is perceived as being less valuable or of less value, I guess. The score when I don't play the game is zero. If I don't play at all, I have zero points. Right. If but I, I, I think that maybe game, you also have zero friend points. <laughs> and no matter whether you win or lose or get negative points you always have positive friend points 
But I think that might be the defining factor here, right? Like, not everything is trying to say you accumulate points to some point and then you're done. Sometimes the thing is you're trying to achieve something and then what you've done is graded. And then that graded can be, yeah, terrible, right? Like, um, <laughs> so it, it's not necessarily like how I got this many points over my time, but what's your final score? And if your final score can only be above some number, then like in some in some situations, that's just not going to be a realistic thing. And I don't know. I also it, just don't understand an to be made that that's less valuable if you're like restricted to a certain score before you've even started. But also, sure, you want to win. But in the end, does it matter if you win? No. It really doesn't. Then why would you want to win in the beginning? Because it feels good, but it also feels good to just play a game and try new things. For sure. And I would say my first few plays of any game are, let's push buttons and see how I do. But in a That's game every like... every game Nova, ever. But in a game like Ark Nova, if I played it five times... The fifth time, I'm like, okay, I definitely want to win. See, I don't, I don't understand that because in a game like Ark Nova, I'm playing it because the animals are cool. Yeah. So I really don't care what my score is because there's cool animals and I'm putting them in my zoo. <laughs> We're pretty different people. <laughs> I know. I just, I it. This isn't meant to be an accusation, but it just it seems like no. you're allowing the score to ruin the game for you. I I definitely think that we have blown the score thing a little out of proportion for what what it is. <laughs> that and, was your original and, argument, though. And to a funny degree, yes. That there are other things I don't love about Ark Nova that add to that. Like what? Like just the feeling of being behind the whole time. Even if I'm ahead, I still feel behind. And the essence of Ark Nova is a race. It's a race to get your guys around the board to have the most points. I don't. The whole thing boils down to a race. I don't think so. When I've won, I haven't been racing. I've been trying to build my zoo up so that when someone inevitably ends the game, I, I, my pieces slingshot past each other past them. It's not, I don't see it as a race. I see it as building a good enough zoo that when the final scoring happens, it, those two pieces pass each other. Well, I've never played that way. So maybe that's why I lose all the time. I don't know. That's, that's how I understood it the first time. So that's how I played it. Well, there's definitely a race aspect to at least the first 10 spots or so in the conservation side. Where if you get there first, you get to pick the bonus that you get. Yeah, I've never really paid get, attention to them. You only get five bucks. I don't know. I think we've talked about Ark Nova enough for this episode. If you've played Ark Nova, Daryl, let us know what you think about Greg's email. For what it's and worth, can, the only thing that I can relate to, that which is not really the same at all, but the only thing that I thought of when I was thinking about it was... Um, I've played not really board games, I guess, but video games and online games that grow over time, something like WoW, maybe, where uh, as they get, as things get bigger and bigger, because you have to keep expanding and expanding, where like, you, and they've done this, the games will like get to a point where they uh, crunch all the different systems and numbers and things that have accumulated over years, because everyone's at such big numbers where it's kind of meaningless and it's hard to know what the difference is because people have a harder time like comparing and associating big, big numbers, the bigger they oh, get. Yeah. So games will often like crunch and they bring everything back down to a point where it's a little more relatable. Um, right. But that's not to make it more valuable in any sense. It's really just to make it easier to understand when you're doing like millions versus just like, you know, a couple hundred. It's, it's just an easier thing for your brain to deal with. But right. uh, that's as close as I got for this. Oh, yeah. You're talking for Greg's questions? Yeah, yeah. 
he asked if yeah, we had I any think... other things that were like this for in our own experience and that was the only thing that I got um for interrupts the flow of the game I definitely think that uh Brass Birmingham is scoring for that you stop the game halfway through score up the map remove most of what you've done on the map and then start again and play the other half of the game yeah and I think it it works for what the game is from a railroad to a canal uh sorry canal to a railroad era and how that changed things but it definitely breaks up the flow of the game yeah i it's thought that really could have been done better this, this two thing. right yep um the scoring mechanic uh, see i'd like to have take a, a little bit uh yeah sorry i just have a thought it's interesting um ticket to ride technically rules is written you're supposed to calculate your score as you go oh yeah i've never seen anyone do that everyone nope. always just does it at the end because it would break the flow right. it's interesting like that's one where yes so no one plays it that way mm -hmm. you just finish yeah, the game and then count it all together that's interesting i i don't think like, i've ever thought about that but it just I've popped in my head because yeah. the rulebook says you're supposed to do the trains you lay as you go, but I've never... You're so in the flow of the game, you forget all the time and just don't... So we just don't do it anymore. We just do it at the end right. altogether. Huh. Can we think of any where the scoring really adds to the experience? Hmm. I could probably come back in two weeks having thought about this a bunch more with a, a few examples. I think... Um, I mean, not having played it, but I'm guessing um, Food Chain Magnite will be like that, where the money counts as the score. Right. Because that would evoke the feeling of how far behind you are. Yeah, and how much money you're you're earning. Like, the theme um, is you're yeah. selling. And the yeah. other one I'm thinking of is Scythe, because you have that multiplier on the side of the board. Oh, the morale. Yeah, you have your morale and you have the three different tracks or whatever that multiply based on where you're at. I think that mm -hmm. really adds to the game. Mm hmm. Because it's a multiplier specifically. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, if you want to email us, you should do that at theturnturtles at gmail.com. I sometimes post to Facebook. I recently posted my cool dice tray that I lasered on the top. And that's uh, Turn Turtles BG on Facebook. I think Adam's on the Twitter. Hey? A little bit. Yeah, you do. Adam does the Twitter. At I do Turn myself. Turtles. I haven't been advertising the Turn Turtles one because it didn't really catch on. Yeah. Um, but I've been posting on our various... <laughs> <laughs> no, because I had started, nothing happened. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've been I've been putting our some of our personal things in the show notes. If you're interested, in checking us out. Perfect. Thanks for listening to another rousing episode of Turn Turtles Podcast. Goodbye. Bye. The Turn Turtles were here. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.